Tom, welcome to the Building and Growing podcast. We're delighted to have you here today. Thanks for having me on. You're most welcome. Um, Tom is a principal at Fuel Ventures. Um, and are you able to start off just by telling us a bit about yourself and maybe what happened pre-Fuel, which is, uh, you know, certainly when we met each other? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've obviously known each other for a few years from back in the pensions days uh, where we both started. So um, I started off in the, the banking world doing uh, derivative structuring for pension funds, which, as you can probably imagine from the title, isn't the most interesting thing in the world yes. and probably not the fastest moving industry in the world. <laughs> uh, so having got into the nitty gritty of that, it gave me and one of my colleagues an idea. Um, and this is, we're talking kind of six, seven years ago now at the, the tail end of that. Yes. Um, and cost transparency was being talked about a lot in that in that industry. Performance analytics was, was very advanced. Risk analytics was pretty advanced. And people started to talk about cost and, and how we bring that to the fore. Mm. So we left that and we set up a SaaS business to try and help pension funds along that journey. Mm-hmm. So we built a a UX that basically gave them all this data in a pretty easy to understand format, um, mixed it with some of that performance and risk data, um, and then benchmarked it against other funds so they could see effectively where they sat in a metric we called value for money, which okay. is technically impossible yes. to really measure, but we were trying to get as close to it as possible. A fantastic um, B2B business, which I, I think is our favorite. Fantastic, love B2B, but <laughs> made all the typical mistakes that a first time founder would make. Mm. Um, I think there was one there was one big thing that we didn't see, um, which was that we were effectively bringing data to the fore that certain other parties probably should have known in advance. Okay. And so we were in that interesting space where people would have to admit that they hadn't seen something for quite a long time that had a pretty outsized effect uh, if they were to buy this software. Okay. So that was probably one of the things. Um, but we received backing from a, a Swedish reg tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got it off the ground. We got a few a few customers. And then NASDAQ actually came along and bought out that company that had, that had backed us. Fantastic. And we thought at the time, we don't see venture scale in this. So we got swept up in that acquisition for what I always describe laughably as a non-champagne exit, one where you go straight back to work. <laughs> oh, um, no. uh, so then I dived straight back into the SaaS world, was the, the first sales hire at a company called Finborn. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of went into to try and lead that under a, a sales-focused co-founder. And this was the complete other end of enterprise SaaS. So what we were doing before was the kind of 30, 40, 50 K ACV. Yes. Uh, this was the the kind of million plus. Um, so a great experience to do that for a couple of years. The the company was very, very successful in, in those two years that I that I was there. Mm. Not necessarily anything or all to do with me. Um, there was just a fantastic team in place and we were solving a real problem in data infrastructure. Excellent. Uh, so spent a couple of years there. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Ended up uh, a short foray into something in the B2C side of fintech. But Mm -hmm. as you've already said, B2B is the answer. That's where we kind of really like to sit and enjoy. So jumped across to Fuel Ventures uh, two and a half years ago to to help um, the GP there, Mark, set up the pre-seed fund. So it it already had a a pretty well-established seed fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and a follow-on fund, and this was coming in to go one step earlier. 
yes. and uh, and build a structure where we could invest a relatively small amount in a lot of up and coming founders who are building cool things. Fantastic. Look, uh, a very, very interesting story. Um, and uh, one thing that, you know, I forgot to mention uh, uh, earlier on in the podcast is the fact that, you know, you didn't have a moustache back in the uh, pension days, but I think you're doing Movember now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, third year in a row now. Um, Fantastic. Doing my my little bit for uh, kind of charitable efforts every year. So they're raising awareness for prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and and men's suicide rates. And I think it's a it's a a great cause, um, a relatively easy thing to do to make yourself look stupid for a month. Yes, um, yeah, and and raise some money for the cause. So yeah, definitely something I'll continue to do. Yeah, and look, we'll be sure to uh, put the link in the comments, even if you know we're slightly <laughs> yeah. past uh, uh, November. Um, I'm sure that you know they'll they'll still continue to take donation. Absolutely. Back to fuel. So you know, I, yeah, after a, a super interesting and varied career. B2B SaaS uh, in particular, um, you know, you've, you've joined Fuel to focus on the pre-seed side of things. Um, Fuel is very well known, I think, in my network um, uh, for the wonderful memes that it produces. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's something we could dive into um, for a long time. But um, another thing that it sort of stands out for is, um, you know, the fact that it offers some SEIS and EIS funds, which for those who know what they are, they love to invest in. For those who don't know what they stand for, um, they uh, you know, probably are, are too afraid to ask. So do, should we start there? Yeah, it's one of those things that is kind of like shrouded in mystery to anyone outside of it. And then as soon as you get into it, there is like you can go to the ends of the earth into the detail. There's a lot of nuances, but actually on the surface, there's a relatively simple concept. So um, at its core, it's a, it's a tax scheme to incentivize people to invest in really early stage companies in the UK or that have at least some relation to the UK. Um, the key thing being people rather than necessarily entities. It has to be done on a personal level. Yes. I think the the easiest way to go through it is to split it on the company side and the investor side because there's a lot of numbers thrown around about limits and all the rest of it and actually a lot of them get confused because there's normally a limit for the company and a limit for the investor the person each time. Okay. So, um a, a, this is actually already also about to change on the on the 6th of April I think it is when the new tax year comes in. So <laughs> we'll have to uh, re-record then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll probably talk about what it's going to be because then it's obviously a bit more useful for the future but yeah. Um effectively if a company there's a lot more to it than this but at a basic level if a company has less than 350,000 in assets has been trading for less than 3 years. This yes. is getting at the fact that it's a very early company then they can raise up to 250,000 of SEIS eligible funding. Mm -hmm. On the investor side, it's looking at someone who has income that they want to offset effectively. Mm -hmm. So as an investor who invests either via a fund or directly into a company, they get 50% income tax relief on the amount they invest and some other benefits as well. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's 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 effectively trying to convince people to to get into really early stage companies because, like, the UK uh, investment market, especially early stage VC, is yes. good, 
but we're still nowhere near where we are in the US. Uh, okay. They have such a, a great angel scene because they built so many big companies. So they've got a lot of people who have come out of those and then want to back the next generation. Yeah. And we're getting there in Europe and particularly in the UK, but this is just that helping hand um, to to push people to get money into those early stage companies and drive innovation in the UK. Okay, fantastic. So the, the pre-seed fund that you, know, you mentioned that you were working on, is that SEIS or EIS? That's SEIS. So all the numbers I was just talking about was SEIS. Okay. And then EIS is the same concept, but larger limits, larger investment amounts and slightly lower income tax relief. Okay. Um, to compensate for the the slightly later stage of the companies and therefore slightly lower risk. Okay, fantastic. Thanks so much for uh, uh, explaining that. Um, uh, you know, certainly one for me to look back on as well in the future. Absolutely. Excellent. So in terms of, um, you know, your day-to-day job, you're, you're meeting with a lot of founders. Um, how should founders approach VCs when they're fundraising? I think um, the first thing is that there's a lot of VCs out there. They're all very, very different. Yes. So on, on two separate levels, know who you're going after. Mm-hmm. There are so many who won't be appropriate for what you're trying to build. Yes. So let's take going back to B2B SaaS. If you're, if you're looking at, to build something in the B2B SaaS space, make sure you're approaching investors who are telling you in their website or whatever else marketing they're doing that they invest in B2B SaaS. There's absolutely no point approaching a consumer investor with a B2B SaaS idea. Indeed. Uh, because it, it's a, it's taking up your time and you're not going to get any benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, surface level, make sure that the fund that you're targeting is investing in what you're building. One step deeper, look at the actual people within that fund. Mm. So there are going to be partners in different funds, some who focus on B2B SaaS and some maybe focus on consumer if it's a generalist fund. So you want to be targeting the right person within yes. that fund. That's super important. Um, and then and then the other thing is, once you've got to that point, you want to look at just who that VC is. What can they what can they offer you? Mm. Um, what is it you want from them? And that will they, that will kind of help you define who is your who's your kind of this is my top tier, next tier, next tier, and so on. So that's how to look at it in terms of like who to target, how to do it. Uh, intros are intros are pretty essential. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd say that becomes more and more true as you get further down the scale from pre seed, seed A, B, C, and so on. Yes. Because at the later stages, it all happens through network. At, at pre seed, obviously, there are lots of great founders out there with great ideas that don't necessarily have an existing VC network. So. Um, if you can't get away in through an intro, that doesn't mean you shouldn't reach out um, okay. because if they are interested, they will respond. Yeah. Um, and in, in that, like have your one liner and your, or your intro paragraph prepped, because if you're going to ask someone for an intro, they're not going to want to design that for you because you know the company better than anyone else. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so that's key. I think pitch decks are very easy to get right. Yes. Uh, there's so much advice out there. I won't necessarily dive into it right this second. Um, but that's one thing that you can completely control and you can get right. Yes. Uh, don't ask for NDAs, especially at the really early stage. Pre-seed VCs are looking at hundreds and hundreds of these a month and mm. they they can't sign an NDA because it just restricts them too much. They don't have the time to to get legal involved and, and start looking at what I'm actually constrained from doing. Yes. If you're talking about later in stages and later in the process, absolutely. 
Mm. Like if you're talking to a growth investor and you're past that first conversation and you want to start sharing data rooms and details, like obviously, but I think we'll probably focus more at the really early stage and everything I say here, because that's, they're probably those who are going to be more interested in, in learning and getting into it. Indeed. Those that are already a little bit further down the road, obviously already have VCs in their corner and someone who can advise and back them on that stuff. Yeah, oh, I agree with that. Preparation, um, like adding on to the pitch deck piece, there's loads of stuff that you can get right before you even start having the conversations before you even reach out. Yes. So um, practice the pitch. It's going to be the first thing that they hear or see when you're in the room with them. So mm. like obviously don't come across robotic, but just make sure you know exactly what you, you want to say and how you want to say it. Yes. Make sure all the follow-up is ready. So have you already built the model? Have you got the FAQs in place? Um, all, all of that is essential because once a VC is interested in something, they want to move at pace and mm -hmm. you probably want to move even quicker than they do because raising money as a founder is not the fun part. Yes. Like building and selling is the fun part. Raising is just something you have to do to grow quicker. Indeed. So if everything is ready, you'll be able to move super fast in that process. Okay. And I think the last thing is, I mean, there's obviously a thousand things more we could talk about, but be passionate. This is something that you are doing because you think you can, you can change a little part of the world by building this. And you should be completely obsessed with that idea. So show that obsession to the VCs you're talking to because they will feed off that and they'll buy into that. Yes. I, very, very true words. And I think, you know, the final one uh, shows because um, the VCs ultimately at pre-seed stage, you're investing in, in a founder, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. And so that's so important for that passion to sort of, you know, um, perspirate from them <laughs> yeah i mean founders are the most important element the whole way through the journey mm. but they have an outsized impact at the earlier you go because the company is fewer fewer people the earlier you go yes so they are pretty much doing everything at the pre-seed stage you might have a, a couple of early employees mm -hmm. but you're you're going to be pretty much doing everything yeah um yeah. so they are a, they are a like I always talk about when I talk about process, I say, oh, we look at these things that are when we're kind of first looking at something, there's a few things that we look at at a high level. Yes. And then the the founder is almost everything, like everything they say and do in the meeting, you're looking at, uh, you're analyzing, um, but they just have such a, a, a great, like an outsized effect on the outcome of the company. Indeed, indeed. Um, I want to take a quick step back in terms of, you know, the founders approaching VCs because you made a really good point about looking at who um, works within a VC and what their background is. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I want to discuss that is because, you know, Fuel, for example, really prides itself on hiring ex-founders and operators. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the benefits of, say, having investors who are from that that particular profile as opposed to you know say an analyst type profile yeah uh, there's no right or wrong here it's it, there's there's a little bit to do with stage so uh operators at, at pre-seed and seed i think are, are super super useful because mm. you're basically that's the point where you're trying to go from zero to one you're trying to get off the ground so having someone in your corner who's done some element of that or multiple elements of that before, if you're talking about the kind of people across the fund as a whole, 
that's a, a huge value add. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that if you come from, because the other, the other two kind of classic backgrounds are consultants and people from IB. And as you move through the stages, you tend to see a lot of consultants at the the kind of later early stage, so Series A, um, because you want people who are able to to do a lot of that analysis work and that kind of that that piece of being an operator at a really, really early stage. They've already got through that piece. So then you maybe want operators who have scaled something. Uh, and and got from that kind of one to that next stage. Mm. And then when you get to the growth stage, the IB background is super useful because you're dealing with extremely complex financials at that point. And you're ultimately looking to help take that company to an exit. So someone who's worked in M&A or taken companies public suddenly becomes an incredibly valuable asset to have on your on your board or on your corner um, yes. because they've, they've spent a lot of time doing that. So that's why you generally find slightly different backgrounds at different stages. But ideally you want to have a bit of everything uh, mm-hmm. as you, as you go through the journey, whether you collect a bit of everything at each stage or whether you collect one at each stage, um, yeah. it's certainly useful to, to have that on, on, uh, on the board. Fantastic. Thanks so much for taking us through, you know, the profiles per stage, uh, you know, super interesting. I mean, don't don't take that as read. Everyone does it differently, but that was yeah. just trying to kind of summarize in a simple way. Yeah, it was very simple, very clear. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, um, yeah, people can read into it in one way or another. But uh, uh, certainly, I guess for me, something that, yeah, it's, it's simple, it's to the point and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, thank you so much for, for providing that. Um, earlier on, you mentioned that, you know, you might dive a little bit more into tips around um, uh, preparing the pitch deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, do, should we should we dive into that? Yeah, happy to. Yeah. Uh, so I think I'll come to some specifics in a second, but there's one overriding theme. Mm. And I think this is something that's super important that I think a lot of people don't think about is that when you're in the founder journey, it's constant it's crazy uh there's always ten thousand things to do and it's super busy yes and i think um founders need to appreciate actually that vcs are often in a very similar position like if you just take it at the very very highest level vcs are building a network that allows them to to find the best deals that's a a huge time investment Mm -hmm. they are fundraising because if you don't fundraise you don't have capital to to deploy so that's constantly meeting with your lps you're doing the investment work um and if you really want to get to know founders in a company in the space each deal requires a huge time commitment Mm. and then ultimately once you've made those investment decisions you're advising those companies and so when you're looking at that across multiple companies, sometimes multiple funds, there's there's a lot going on. Mm. So the point I'm trying to make here is your deck shouldn't be as simple and as easy to read as possible mm. because someone is going to look at it and they're going to make a relatively quick decision because they can't spend half an hour going through the deck and looking at every single word, letter, nuance. Yes. So with that kind of overriding theme in mind, there's probably some some key stuff to go through. One is understand the purpose of a deck. Uh, it goes along with this theme, which is it's just trying to get you in the room. Yes. It doesn't have to sell the whole proposition. So people worry about like, what should I, what should I, if I take this out, they're not going to understand it. Mm-hmm. It has to be 
absolutely essential to the understanding to get the concept of what your business does to stay in the deck everything else comes out yes because then someone can go through and pick out the the the, the salient super key points mm-hmm. and they'll make a decision as to is this someone i want to follow up with and speak to or is this not um and the more you put in there the the more likely that is to to be something that they they can't cut through yeah and so they don't see the really key point and therefore they don't reach out okay so the, actually people often think the more i put in there the more they'll see but that's actually it's the it's the opposite to that the less you put in there the more key stuff that you highlight the more likely they are to see it so cut the fat cut the fat absolutely yeah so that's the purpose point uh structure mm. um structure is super important and i think there are different vcs like to see things done in different ways so you won't hear every VC say, this is the way you structure a pitch deck. Yes. As in, there's a way that I like to see it because I think it makes sense for me and I'll happily talk about that. Um, but I think I think broadly, this would be a, a good way at looking at it. So start off with the vision. Mm-hmm. So like broad brush, where are you trying to get to? Because I want the context of your dream. Mm-hmm. So then I'll put everything in the context of what that is. So where are you trying to get to? What are you trying to achieve? Start with that and then talk about the problem and your solution. Mm-hmm. So what what are the, the specific here and now problems that I'm trying to solve? Because I understand this domain and I know that these are problems. And obviously talk about the product or API or whatever it is that you're building as, as the solution to that. And that is effectively the context piece. Then you're gonna go for the selling points. So this is the bit that's really, really, like if they like that concept, they like that idea and they think, yeah, this is a market I understand. This is a, a problem that I think exists and this is a solution I think would work with that. Yes. Then you've just got to punch all the selling points home. So the team, we mm-hmm. talked about the team being super important. That's the most important thing. So that has to go next, in my opinion. Yeah. Talk about what you've done, why you're right for this particular particular company. So founder market fit is super important. Mm-hmm. Um talk about the traction mm-hmm. vcs love nothing more than to see that someone's bought what you're selling because yes. if someone is willing to pay for it it means you're absolutely doing something right yeah talk about the market um the, if the market like vcs by definition if you look at uh, vc mathematics everything they invest in has to be able to return the fund mm-hmm. and hopefully several times over yes and that can only be done in a very very large market so you're generally looking at markets where you can sustain multiple unicorns um, yes. uh, is, a, is, a, is a, again, a very simple way of looking at that. So talk about how big the space is, but really key is like, don't overstate it. Be sensible about what that analysis is, because like we often see people, let's say they're building something within the HR tech space and they'll say, uh, my TAM, like the total market I can go after is HR tech and it's x hundred billion yeah and in reality you can't you're not going to be the entirety of hr tech ever so that isn't your term so be sensible about what that huge market is Mm -hmm. and then also have a good justification for going uh from the tam sam som so what the total market is down to what som is obtainable market what you could actually get to with your core product yeah have a reason for for why you're going down to those specific uh, areas not just my sam is 10 percent of my tam and my som is one percent of that number which yes. is what i see often there's no justification for that yeah they're just numbers 
So sensible market analysis, but it's a key selling point. Mm. Um, and then talk about why now. So lots of VCs talk about trends and super cycles and they're doing constant analysis as to what they think the next big thing is. Where are the gaps? Yes. So VCs will be super interested in something that's in a gap that they've already seen somewhere. So the why now piece, have you got a tailwind basically? Mm-hmm. Um, or have you got a headwind? Um, yes. Because some markets are shrinking and some markets are growing. Um, so that's a key point. They're the, they're the really key selling points. And then effectively the rest of it is just wrapping up the detail. Yeah. So the go to market, how are you going to do this? The business model, how are you going to how are you going to monetize this idea? Um, how much am I, what am I asking for and what am I going to use that money for? Yes. Um, which is all key stuff. So structure's key. The, the other four are pretty easy to talk about. Length is key. I talked about one, two, three, uh, seven, 10, 11 things there. So yes. if, the, if the deck is more than 12 or 13 slides, then you are not focusing on those salient points again. Um, length, uh, structure length, uh, design and comms. Mm-hmm. So... It needs to look good. Um, yeah. Even if you're building something super nerdy and deep techy, if the deck doesn't look interesting, then VCs will assume you don't care enough. Yes. It's coming back to that passion point. If you really cared about that business, you would present it mm-hmm. in a way that you felt proud of showing it off in. Yes. Um, and then very much on the same wavelength, um, how you get those points across. Like I, I, I've just kind of breached my own rule by talking about Tam, Sam and Son, but don't, don't use... <laughs> Don't don't use jargon. The VC is highly unlikely to come from your very specific market. Yes. So if you need to talk about something technical, make sure you explain it. Fantastic. Um, and yeah, don't 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 clutter the slides. Just keep it simple. And you know, you you mentioned metrics and traction um, earlier on. Um, you know, we've just come out of a bull market where mm-hmm. growth was sort of you know favoured as as you know the king or the queen. Um, you know. In terms of traction now in more of a bear market, any key things that you look for in the deck? It's a difficult one to answer from a pre-seed perspective because we're often looking at businesses where there aren't really real metrics. There's Mm -hmm. very, very early stuff, but you have to take everything with a pinch of salt Yes, because you know it's going to change many times over in even in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. So... I would say that there's probably a more interesting point to be made uh, as you're moving up the market right now, which was the market we were in a year ago was growth at any cost. Yes. Whereas now we're in a market of growth at sensible cost. Mm-hmm. So you need to show that you're you're not burning too much cash, basically. Yeah. You're still growing at a rate that's going to interest VCs and that's going to justify a, a higher valuation at the next round. Mm-hmm. But you're not doing that at, at, a, at a kind of ridiculous ca- uh, cash expense. Yeah. So I'd say that that's probably the key one to focus on um, at any stage. Um, but I think that's very, very important as you're going up the up the curve at the moment. Yeah. So I think, yeah, focus on, on retention, uh, you mm-hmm. know, so that you're not just churning customers and having to, to buy more. Yeah. I mean retention is is cheaper revenue than growth is because mm. you already know them yeah they've already downloaded your app or they're already using your service um so retaining retaining those users is is always going to be a more efficient way of keeping revenue or obviously land and expand in the enterprise space growing your revenue with people you're already connected to 
the every time you're reaching out to someone completely new mm. be it um social media marketing cost in a consumer space or a salesperson's time in the enterprise space it's very costly to actually get in front of those people and convert them yes yes indeed um tom we've spoken a lot about the importance of founders you've talked about you know what they can do with the pitch deck in order to make that compelling in the story but when it comes to the founders themselves what sort of qualities or skills do you look for in them yeah it probably helps for me to to very briefly touch on like how we would look at that pitch deck so okay you're you're looking at that that first piece saying right let me get the context it probably makes sense to just talk about it in in that order um you're looking at that to say do i do i agree with the vision do i like the the problem set and the solution Mm um for then a kind of looking at the team slide do i think this is the right team to do it do i think the market is big enough do i think the analysis is sensible yeah um uh do i think that there's a tailwind and this is in one of those really fast growing markets so once you've ticked off those things you're then going to actually get into a conversation with the founders Mm -hmm. and um you're going to then look at pretty much everything they do because almost everything is a function of their decisions Mm. um so you obviously once you're in a market you can't necessarily control competition and certain other things but you you're designing the go-to-market you're designing the business model you're designing the product so almost everything is a function of that founding team uh, you can probably break it down into three areas that are that are super important mm-hmm. for us we love domain expertise yes. um, so talking about that founder market fit um do they know who the players are who the competition is what the pitfalls are mm. do they really understand the problem um then we're looking at skills and experience so Mm uh talking about the founding team as a whole Mm -hmm. um do they have the ability to design something cool build something cool and get that to market and that's Mm -hmm. three very distinct skill sets that you need to have in that founding team it's very difficult to do as a solo founder yes to, to be all things to all people yeah uh, which is why i talk about co-founding team as a whole but looking at that mix of skill sets and looking at their experience um it's very well proven that if you built something before you're very likely to make more of a success of it than someone who's never done it before because you've made a bunch of mistakes or you've got it right in mm-hmm. in the past so you, you already know what some of those pitfalls are on the growth journey of being a a, a kind of startup scale up software company. Yes. Um, so skills and experience, um, domain expertise, and then demeanor. Uh, yes. How do you come across? Going back to the point I made at the start about being passionate, mm-hmm. like VCs want to see that you love the idea and that you really want to build something in this space and you really want to solve a customer problem. Yes. If you don't show that you have that confidence and that belief and that passion their interest won't be the same mm-hmm. indeed indeed tom i'm conscious that we're uh, uh nearly out of our slot we don't want to get kicked out of the studio but um sure um in terms of uh you know finishing off the podcast would you be open to give any tips to people sort of considering a move into vc yeah absolutely um there's probably a good few hundred blogs that people have written uh, <laughs> about this and people have very different advice all over the place, but I'll, I'll probably pick out a few things that I think are, 
are important. So we talked a lot about um, different skill sets for different stages and different types of VCs. So it's very much the same point as for a founder, mm. like look at the VCs and look at what type of VC you want to go to. Going to a pre-seed VC is very different from going to a growth VC and, and what the skill set you need yes. is very, very different. So you need to kind of set yourself up by going into a startup, going into a consulting, going into an IB firm. Um, it's quite difficult to go straight into VC out of university. Yeah. So taking one of those routes is a, is a, is a good way to get some experience that you can then take into that world. Um, so yeah, looking at, the the type of vc and therefore the type of role that you want to be in to try and find that route in yes and then also the tone of the vc are they are they a corporate vc or are they a, a kind of more relaxed tone and you can tell from again website speaking to people um memes, so perhaps. sorry memes perhaps memes. <laughs> yeah exactly i think we know which end fuel sits on that scale um read and listen so read blogs listen to podcasts however it is that you like to engage with content the key point here is that to be a vc you need to be very curious is the word that gets thrown around a lot you need to be obsessed with how things work and yeah. um how founders want to uh how founders want to engage with and build something yes. um and if you're not if you don't have the drive to listen to podcasts and read up on the industry, it's probably not the industry for you because you need to have that obsession and that passion with everything that's going on yes. in yeah. in the software, hardware, wherever it is that you space that you want to get into. Um, I think you have to be someone that has an opinion. You VCs are relatively small companies in the majority of cases. So when you go into one of these firms, you'll probably have quite a big voice, especially if you're coming from a corporate space. Mm. Um, and you've been hired because people want to know what you think. Mm. So don't be scared of saying exactly what you think, um, because if you think something entirely different to the VC you're talking to in an interview, for instance, that's probably not the right fit for you. Okay. Um, so it doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, mm. By speaking your mind and having an opinion, you'll find the right fit over time. Um, networking is key. Um, if you, and, and deal flow comes very, very closely linked to that. So if you want to get into it, like start talking to people in it a couple of years before, get, get involved, but don't just, reach out and say can you help like be helpful yeah say i have a particular expertise in this space and i would love to if you have something you're looking at in this space i would love to help you go into the detail on it if you need someone who's an expert in this area yeah um yeah. let me help you with that because you start to offer value then you become part of that network and you'll organically get introduced Indeed. Uh, and again the lifeblood of vcs apart from the capital side is the deal flow. So if you see something cool and you're, you're starting to build that relationship with a few people, like send stuff that you think is really interesting to them and say, mm -hmm. hey, I saw this. And I think like based on our last conversation, I think it's something you'd be interested in. Yeah. Um, and if you start building that network and sending cool deals to people, you won't need to apply for the jobs. They will come looking for you. Indeed, indeed. Um, and I think this isn't, this last point is absolutely not um, specific to VC, but I think the world is becoming more and more about the person, the human, and not necessarily just being like a, a corporate voice. Mm. So when you're when you're talking to people, when you're like writing an application, a CV or whatever, just 
be a, be a human be yeah. a person <laughs> because it's very easy to get worried and think right i need to i need to be kind of super corporate and super robotic about it it's very easy to fall into that trap but yeah. actually just write things as if you're if you're saying them obviously don't be too much too too far the other way yeah but people want to know who you are who are they going to sit next to for the new, next few years and who are they going to be working with so going back to the opinion point what do you think yes who are you Indeed. I mean, it, it, it's not like, you know, sort of 12 years ago, uh, uh, you know, even 10 years ago when you're applying for a job and you write, you know, a four or five paragraph uh, yeah. sort of cover letter and you sign it at the Same bottom. Same structure <laughs> every time. That's it. That's it. I think in France, you actually have to write it with a pen um, for some prestigious firms. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. they won't even consider you. So, yeah, things have changed. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think. I mean, some VCs are, are still quite corporate, but I think the majority are are looking for people. Yes. Yeah. Indeed. Look, Tom, we've covered a great deal today. Um, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all of your insights. Before we turn off the cameras, any final tips or uh, points you want to make? What shall I reel off a couple of things? I think we t we talked a lot about fundraising. Yeah. So very yeah. quickly, when you're ideating, find the right people, co-founders, hire A-star players, get A-star players on board because again, founders, the team are everything. Yes. And focus on the customers because if you're not really solving a problem for someone, you're always going to have the problem of facing being something that's nice to have rather than something they have to have because mm -hmm. you've really solved a problem. And then as soon as you get onto the building phase, like ship fast. Yes. Um, don't ship too early, but ship fast. Start selling to people quickly because that's when you know whether someone's actually going to pay for it or not. And if they're not going to pay for it, then you instantly know that it's not the right thing. So yes. you go back to the same people and say, what do I need to do in order to, for you to pay for this? So you get to that you get to those feedback cycles very quickly and then one last thing that i think is is an easy mistake to make is once you have raised that money don't scale too fast mm -hmm. so uh, this is very much a pre-seed thing but you often haven't found product market fit mm -hmm. um your the money is to try and find product market fit yeah. So stay lean until you find product market fit and then scale the things that are working. It's mm -hmm. very easy to think, right, I've got this money. I said this in my business model, so therefore I need to start spending. Mm. It's not necessarily the case. You need to actually find product market fit and then start spending money on that fit. Indeed, indeed. Look, really good points. Really love the one that you mentioned about, uh, you know, finding um, the problems that you need to solve in order to, to ensure that that translates to stickiness absolutely That's, you know i think my favorite part about the b2b space is is the stickiness aspect um you can really solve problems and, and not have to worry about churn if you do so yeah retention is very easy if you're if you're solving a massive problem Indeed. Um, are you making it more efficient faster more revenue less cost it's like you can you can stay in somewhere for a very long time with a relatively simple product if you're solving a problem that's it that's it tom thank you so much again yeah thanks for having me it was really cool excellent and we'll put your link in uh, uh the uh the comment section for uh for november yeah I've, i have absolutely no doubt they'll happily accept donations long after november is finished excellent thank you so much mate cool cheers buddy <laughs>